Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jersey Educator Podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury. And my name is Jim Boyce. And welcome to the Jersey Educator Podcast, the only podcast created by NJEA members for NJEA members. Welcome to episode 35. Jim, tell us a little bit about who's on our show today. Oh, wow, Jeff. Uh, episode 35. Um, great. And tonight on the show, we're bringing on a friend of mine uh, who is an educator in New Jersey. Uh, she's currently a doctoral student at Rutgers University. Her name is Okaikor Ai Price. And uh, she's involved in a lot of organizations around the state, including Pulse, EduColor, Journey for Justice Alliance, uh, and NJA, uh, you name it. Um, Okaikor is involved. Really excited. And she's bringing a guest on the show who is a friend of hers. And last week, I want to bring you guys your attention, episode 34. We started off our brand new season. Hope you guys had a chance to check it out over there on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, the episode was entitled Social Movements and the Classroom, a conversation with TJ Whitaker. Jim, already getting some great feedback, which, of course, if you're listening to this show, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google, wherever you are, and uh, give us a nice rating and review on iTunes. But, Jim, not only that, um, our great interview today kind of talked a a little bit about some of those social um, aspects and social conversations. Why is it important that we as educators start to have these conversations, not only amongst ourselves, but maybe with our students? So Jeff, in thinking of that, I'm reminded of a comment that I've made over our past 34 episodes. Something I say often, Jeff, is that our members, our NJA members' working conditions in their schools are our students' learning conditions. And when I think of our members and the 200,000 of them that we have across our state, and I go to NJA events, conferences, workshops, dinner meetings, you name it, Jeff, I see very few members of color who are involved. And I know that there are more out there who are not involved with NJA, but they're doing things on their own with organizations that they've found and they've reached out to. And it's very important for NJA to stay relevant that these members who are NJA bring what they're learning in these other organizations to NJA to make us all stronger and get us all involved again for our members' working conditions and our students' learning conditions. That's absolutely right, Jim. And of course, one of the places that you can go to have these conversations, as you said, is the NJA convention happening in early November. We will be there, Jim. And don't forget to stop by the TeacherCast booth where you can check out several great presentations, including a two-hour live broadcast of this very own Jersey Educator podcast. But that's not the only thing happening in the NJA. Jim, tell us a little bit about some of the great events coming up this year. Absolutely, Jeff. I'm so excited for the annual NJA convention in November. And the theme of the convention will actually be social justice this year, Jeff. And one of the pieces there will be a, I've heard um, on the convention floor, there's going to be a walking tour uh, sort of a multi-sensory learning experience that members can walk through called The Awakening. And around that, Jeff, NJA just, I believe it just launched today on NJA.org, a social justice art contest 
called Through Our Eyes. And uh, our members, if you're interested, if you want to bring this to your students, uh, you can learn more about it at njeaconvention.org slash awakening. And this contest is for middle and high school students uh, who can uh, show through art their experience if they're students of color, LGBTQ students and immigrant students. Uh, there are scenarios provided at njaconvention.org slash awakening. Uh, through which they, they can share their own experiences and then have that shared at convention, Jeff. And of course, we'll have those links and everything over there on our show notes page. Of course, if you go over to njea.org, you can find our show notes and subscribe to this very podcast right from the front page. Jim, tell us about our guest today. Absolutely, Jeff. So excited to have with us a doctoral student uh, from Rutgers University Graduate School of Education, I've known her, Jeff, for maybe four years, and she's been very helpful to me in my understandings of social and racial justice issues. Uh, she is involved with numerous organizations, not only around the state, but around the country, including Pulse in Newark, New Jersey, Journey for Justice Alliance, EduColor, uh, you name it, Okaikor, IE Price. Uh, she's there, and welcome to the show, Okaikor. Hey, Jim and Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, okay, Kaikor, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, actually. Um, it's been a very lazy day, so, but yeah. Well, it's about to get even more exciting uh, because <laughs> you, you brought a guest on the show. So who have you brought to uh, join us tonight? I did. I brought Zelly Thomas, who is an educator extraordinaire from Patterson, New Jersey. I'm gonna let him tell you more about himself, you know? So yeah, looking forward to hearing, you know, um, all that he's gonna share and, and, and spread. So yeah. So Zelly, uh, welcome on to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here tonight. All right. So Kaikor uh, knows you certainly much better than I do. I've, I've met you in person once, Zelly, so at least I can I have that. But uh, Kaikor is going to conduct a conversation. So Kaikor, feel free to take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm glad that Zelly and thank you for accepting the invitation to be interviewed. Um, I think for me, like the first time I came across you was more like on social media. Well, actually, no, before that, it was like we were doing Maroon Project organizing in Newark and you came to one of the meetings and just, you know, after that it was like, you know, kind of disappeared. And then we saw you again um, via social media. And I was like, wait, we got to tap into this person. Like he's a teacher in New Jersey. Like I need to know more. Like, why do I know him? So please tell me, can you tell me more? Who is Zelly Thomas today? Tell me. Wow. Zelly Thomas today. <laughs> um, well, to begin with, you know, um, I'm a brother. Mm. I'm, I'm a son. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned before, I'm an educator in New Jersey, but I'm also a, um, organizer and activist. And like you had mentioned before with the Maroon Project, I think I was thrust into my activism 
um, more so in the year 2013 and 2014 mm-hmm. with the with the deaths of both Trayvon Martin and the deaths of um, Mike Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so tell me more about that. Like, I know you, about you being thrust into organizing, right? So, you know, um, uh when when I first like when like I said when I first met you you were you you came into an organize another organizing space that I was already in, mm-hmm. um, and then you know and for me like I'm I've been involved in New Jersey as an organizer so it, when it was new when when I saw a new face and educated I was like wait wait where have you been all this time <laughs> so tell me more about like how that happened for you, you know? wow I, th- I think it's a mixture of um like social media for mm-hmm. one thing and how social media is gives us um, the ability to tap into these this vast and wide network of people who we normally wouldn't have any day-to-day conversations with or interactions with. Mm-hmm. So even though I've been organizing ever since um, I was a college student, mm-hmm. um, I was really not part of any larger national or local organization really much until 2000, 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. when we saw the, the really wide usage of social media and Twitter and Facebook in order to organize. And that really allowed me to um, empower myself and really mm-hmm. get more so involved. Mm-hmm. And so tell me more about that process of empowering yourself, because you talked about like being thrust into organizing and that, I mean, you did some of that organizing stuff, you know, in college, but mm-hmm. finding a space, right, a, a community of folks, what was that process like for you in becoming Zelly, right? Becoming Zelly, the educator, the brother, the, the, um, the son, the, the activist. I think it's less about finding a space and more so for our generation was carving out a space for ourselves mm-hmm. because so long we had to wait for um, the NWCP or the local church <laughs> or, or someone else to like really um, organize a rally or organize a response to any type of injustice. Mm-hmm. Well, especially with social media, we, we realized that, you know, we didn't have to wait for anybody else that we could be our own leaders and we can really be the movement that we've been looking for. Mm-hmm. So I had organized my first rally um, after Trayvon Martin uh, mm-hmm. was killed and I didn't ask for permission. I didn't get a permit. I was able to get my friends together and use my network in order to um, pull something together. Mm-hmm. And I think that happened all across the country and that's what we're seeing to this day. It's like the one of the movement sayings that we have now is like we are the ones we've been waiting for, right? right. So we're not mm-hmm. waiting on, you know, um, some you know patriarchal leader to lead us through and 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 you know and and guide us and tell us what to do, when to do, and how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So we are the ones that we have been waiting for. We are the leaders, you know. And so yeah, I appreciate that because you know that speaks to what will ultimately, you know, help empower us to become more liberated and where we should be pushing toward. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of curious too, and even understanding like what social theories or theorists have helped shape who you are, right? Um, And the work that you're doing. So tell us more about that. Right. Um, Since I've been involved in organizing since college. So I've been researching and I remember like locking myself in the, the college library, just like <laughs> as I possibly can. You know? like, so I have like a wide range from whether it's like leftist leanings to like Marx, 
feel like Frantz Fanon, Paulo mm-hmm. Pierre, um, mm-hmm. all these people who um, influenced me in my thinking in regards to education, in regards mm-hmm. to liberation, and what steps to take, and what actually liberation looks like. Because when you really get to nuts and bolts of things, mm-hmm. people's idea of what freedom looks like mm-hmm. is completely different. So let's talk about that then, because you know what? We hear a lot about people talking about, this is not what freedom looks like, this is not what liberation looks like, and then there are my children being le- free and liberated too as well. There they go. Right? <laughs> Don't impress them. <laughs> almost nine o'clock at night towards <laughs> the school day, but we're not going to talk about that. So, no, I, yes, so seriously, let's, let's talk about that. Like, you know, what does that look like, you know, and mm-hmm. what can that look like? Cause it might look multiple different ways, right? So what does that look like for you? Right. Um, one of the things that we always talk about is that in oppressed people, like we can't experience justice without having freedom first. Mm. And when I really try to envision, I try to have other people envision, is think about our ancestors who were enslaved Africans, right? And they were sitting um, in their, their slave cabins and they was imagining freedom. Like what did they imagine freedom to look like? Mm-hmm. Did they imagine themselves to like one day be living in the projects? Mm. Like, but that can't be freedom, right? <laughs> the mm-hmm. day freedom, um, still being pulled over and shot by police officers, mm-hmm. like that, that can't be freedom. Did they imagine freedom to still be, um, or even though they could have the access to read, but the school system wasn't adequate and their kids are still not reading on a functional level, that can't yeah. be freedom. So even though we have the absence of physical change, what we're experiencing right now is not freedom at all, you know, yeah. and we have to do our ancestors justice by finally getting the freedom that they were trying to imagine back then. Yeah. And so tell us more about what that would look like for you. Like, what do you think that freedom looks like for you? Right. And what does that liberation look like for us and our children and our students um, and for, you know, our communities? Like, yeah. So our, our ancestors were imagining something very different mm-hmm. and their imaginings were led to you know, them running away. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, fighting for their freedom. And even till today, like right now, like our imagination, what we can imagine is leading us to push for better America, right? So what is that, you know? Cause sometimes even for me, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that freedom looks like and I can't fully grasp it, but I know that I'm fighting so that I'm chipping away at this structure so that it's something better for my community coming behind me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, I, I think those are like a really great questions. And I really think those are the kind of questions that we always ask people to really think about in order mm-hmm. to really get to the nuts and bolts of what freedom looks like. And even starting first about thinking what capitalism is and yeah. thinking about how capitalism overworks us and mm-hmm. underpays us, right? Yeah. So what type of system do we want to live in that really values our labor and values mm-hmm. our time, you know? And that's what freedom looks like to me, where we actually have the real live ability to have liberty you know like mm. actually be fully realized human beings and have the opportunity and the space and time to really delve deep into who we really are you know mm-hmm. so we can labor right we can like do the type of labor to provide the means of sustenance but at the same time we also have the, the time now in order to um have the freedom or be able to do the things that we really enjoy doing in life you know mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think too, like I'm, I'm thinking if even we're working within a labor 
union, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do labor unions even really fulfill the dream of chipping away at this capitalist society or is it just feeding into it too as well is questions right. that I often have, right? So are mm-hmm. we really, you know, are we, are we as labor unions, are we fighting for all workers and not talking about people that have jobs, but I'm talking about people that have the ability to provide labor, right? Is, you know, is that, is that the role of labor unions? What is, is the, is the role of labor unions also to not only provide and make sure that we're fighting for the, um, the ability for people to, to experience their full human selves, all peoples, even people who are unemployed, um, uh, and then what is the role of labor even in racial justice issues too, right? So mm-hmm. you know, economic justice, racial justice, labor justice, how does labor unions feed into that structure too as well? Yeah. Right, definitely. I think one of the key components for that is that we can't separate um, labor from the community. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's what happens, right? that people separate themselves from as a worker and not realizing that you're a worker, but you're also a community member as well. Mm-hmm. And we can't operate in that same mentality thinking or separating like the teacher from the community, right? Mm-hmm. That the teacher has to realize themselves as an integral part of the community themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they realize themselves as a stakeholder in the community, and then the whole framework shifts that mm-hmm. they are not just trying to protect their privilege right at the you know benefit or not even the benefit but at the detriment of their students or the community but they have to think about how can they progress the community that also progresses their goals as well mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if there's a, if we need to also expand community to how we actually envision community right mm-hmm. so you know oftentimes we do have teachers who don't live in the community right and right. they come and they work in the communities that but yet what's happening in the communities that they're working in, um, the issues that are happening and and unfolding in those communities are all related to many different communities all over the world. So I'm even considering thinking about, you know, how we're seeing the charter school movement just pushing into international borders, right? Um, And how what we were fighting here is something that now they're fighting internationally, that's community too, right? So that issue being, more global community wide right so just because we're you know just the need for fighting for labor and fighting for wages and fighting for you know um, workers rights goes beyond just that community it goes also to how do we fight for a more just society right to make more um create more justice and equity for everybody right so it's not just what the interest group wants it's what the global global society. So I was listening to an interview that by Juno Diaz, and he was talking about how what we're doing now is destroying our economy, not only the economy but also our environment. Right. So you know how people are, you know, um, being disenfranchised ends up affecting the community and the environment too. So what ends up happening in those communities, we have, you know, buildings that are dilapidated. We have lead in the buildings for our students, right? In our, in those particular, Patterson had those issues. We had them in Newark, we had them, you know, all over. And then what does that do to the environment, right? What does that do to the people that are going into our schools? Like it's all interconnected linkages, right? Mm -hmm. That we aren't always connecting. Um, 
So I'm curious to when we just to kind of um, take us to a slightly different place, but then also similar to um, before we talked a little bit about you and I um, in a conversation a few months ago about the sunken place mm. um, <clears throat> and that. Um, do you remember that conversation? Yes. That brief exchange. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so let's talk about that metaphor, what it's like for us, mostly people of color, um, maybe explain what that sunken place is, maybe um, seeing questionable looks a little bit, um, mostly in, in mostly white spaces. Oh, definitely. Like oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you want to um, start and just give a background on the, on the conversation of sunken place? Yeah. Um, so... We were just chatting a little bit about, um, you know, just our experiences as as Black people in mostly white spaces, um, and how oftentimes it feels like the deeper that we get in, involved, the more we feel like we're in this sunken space of being like we've reached this, you know, almost like this deep hole um, and it's and it's making reference to the movie get out right mm -hmm. where we have um an african-american man who has has a white girlfriend and he goes and visits their home and and um has these experiences that are you know almost you know these deeply i don't know how to explain it these these experiences where he feels like he just can't get out of this space because it's mm -hmm. so oppressive, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, part of it that he's, you know, he's got this woman that he loves who's white, but then her family, just just the, the torture of being in a space of whiteness um, um, because it's oppressive in itself. Like when we're talking about whiteness, we're talking about this idea that um, white being more superior, being more beautiful, being more everything, right? Being more intelligent. Um, and then not, and then being as black people, not feeling that we can get out of that, right? Get out of the space of even being, I guess, even liberated too, as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's always this constant struggle of trying to get out, but we can't get out because it's this oppressive, abusive space that we're in. Right, right, right. So. Yeah, definitely. I remember this other conversation that we had before and I, I had kind of, um, made a similar comment about it kind of being like a machine mm -hmm. and how the education system is really specifically so anti-black right mm -hmm. and that we see how it crushes our students a lot but mm -hmm. even as you know black staff and black faculty we want to um jump in but then we had that fear of as well as being crushed by that same machine that's like crushing our students. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Do you um, just sit back and watch these students being being crushed and maybe try to save one at a time, or do you like thrust yourself into that machine and you know um, potentially being being crushed as well? And mm -hmm. you know we, we see that a lot. Like you see anti-blackness in your school system, and do you speak up in in regards to being um, chastised or now being? Um, mm -hmm. Um, demonized by your peers or your faculty, or maybe now you're going to be targeted by your administration. And these are the type of things, these microaggressions that we as black um, teachers have to always face. You know, like you, you walk a thin line, like do you just try to go to work and just do your job or do mm -hmm. you go to work and try to speak out 
and now you're going to be that angry black guy or angry black <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's like you're cut between like a rock and a hard place it's either be quiet and just you know internalize all that right and then we know that internalizing that just kind of manifests in other ways health problems too right right um and then or is it do we speak up and then risk being fired or being disciplined or you know Mm -hmm. um and so that that even kind of relates to what happened to jamil hill right this right right last (laughs) week right where she almost if it hadn't been for social media Mm -hmm. and people coming to her defense and even her own workers her own um colleagues saying absolutely not we're not going to stand up and allow um the ESPN to kind of, um, you know, derail you, um, and not allow you to speak your mind. Um, and, 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 and which worst facts, right. About the white supremacy of a president that we have, who has only surrounded himself by white supremacists and has been pushing a a message of white supremacy, um, throughout. So that, you know, that, what we're seeing happening on a national level, we also see happening within the schools and in education and in the classrooms. And in the unions. And in the unions too, yeah, yeah. exactly. And this goes back into um, what you are saying about before about what are the roles of the unions, right? Mm-hmm. And that um, if a union isn't explicitly anti-Black, then is it a white supremacist, you know? Mm. And a white supremacist, see, because if they're not advocating for uh, the rights for black teachers, so even trying to get more black teachers in the school building, <laughs> then are you really advocating for um, black teachers, you know? Yeah. Or playing a neutral role, and even right. a neutral role is not a neutral role either. Right, exactly. Right? There's neutral, <laughs> like you've completely taken a stance, <laughs> and that stance is not for the um, equal and equitable opportunities for all black people and all the teachers of color too as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to wrap us up in a little bit. But before we wrap up, I do want you to I have some statements that I want you to finish off for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. So I can't live without my radio. <laughs> oh, what? You've got a radio. Who has a radio these days? I don't know. That's the first thing that popped in my head just now. <laughs> what? Oh, Yo, the boombox. <laughs> mm. Rocking the Jay Z and the Notorious B.I.G. Oh man, uh, it was all a dream. It was all a dream. <laughs> I used to read Right Up Magazine. Well, yeah, that right there was like the imagination. That that's the black imaginary, right? Mm-hmm. Where he talks about that too, right there in that rap. It was all a dream. I used to read Right Up Magazine. Yes. Okay, next one. Justice for. Wow, justice for all oppressed people the world over. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's build. Let's build sustainable, equitable communities. Mm. Yeah. Jason Stockley. Mm. Wow. So much to say about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag STL verdict. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
Paradise is. Paradise is a room full of black people with music. <laughs> yeah, I was I about to it. say some grits. I just had some grits earlier today. <laughs> yes. Had some yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, black people uh, are magic. Uh huh. Always. Always. <laughs> the um, we, I, I, I you know what I. One last thing too, and yeah. I was talking about, and I'm into the pedagogy, and I sent you a link of a uh-huh. Facebook post um, by a group of, I guess they're educators, but it might be a nonprofit organization that took students to a Confederacy monument, mm-hmm. and they framed it around so that they can make decision of, for themselves. We took them there so that they could make a decision for themselves. And the students ended up writing, one of the students ended up writing a piece saying that, I don't know why, I don't know why we, you know, bother with these monuments. These monuments didn't do anything to us. Um, Pedagogically speaking, I have my opinion on how that was done, but I want to hear your thoughts in terms of how teachers should and educators should really do this, educate our, our students in a way that's not going to be reckless. Um, and that's going to disrupt the, um, the narratives that have also permeated um, um, and dominated. Mm-hmm. I think that's important what you just said, because living in a uh, white supremacist society, that students or particularly black children who are internalizing anti-blackness on all levels Mm -hmm. that they just really can't just be left to make their own decisions especially in regards to a lot of these monuments because if they're seeing a lot of these dominant narratives on tv whether they're being parroted by their teachers they're going to internalize the fact that you know the monuments don't mean nothing and in particular with some of these school districts now trying to teach you know different views about what the civil war was actually about right mm-hmm. so some black students may actually revere some of these statues may see these statues as being harmless or a part of even their own history you know mm-hmm. so if we're looking at a more liberatory pedagogy and one that is anti-racist we need to be speaking truth to power and letting these children know exactly what these monuments stand for and if you don't go into that 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 lesson, letting the children know about what the Civil War was about and what these men stood for, mm-hmm. then their interpretation of the monuments will continue to be seeped with um, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll continue to internalize that white supremacy. And our roles as educators is to help children deconstruct all the internalized um, anti-blackness that they have and not reinforce it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, definitely. Yeah. That was reckless. Yes. <laughs> that was dangerous to the babies. It was dangerous. Yeah, it was dangerous. So tell me what you live for and then we'll wrap it up. 
I live for my people and I, I live for freedom. So every day I'm imagining what freedom looks like and how to get us there. You know, every day I'm organizing, every day I'm building, and every day I'm educating myself more and more. I'm reading as much as I can. I'm talking to people as much as I can, debating as much as I can to be a better person, to be a better educator, and to be a better human being. Jim, you know, we started this show talking about some of the the important points when we talk about social and social justice and on all of those different topics in there. And I got to tell you, what a fantastic and an eye-opening interview we just had there. Um, it's amazing just to listen to some of the conversations from a slightly different set of eyes. Yeah, it was great having Okaikor and Zelly on the show, and and you know I had during the uh, the their conversation, I I looked at Zelly uh, Zelly's Twitter. He has almost a hundred thousand Twitter followers, Jeff. So that speaks to the importance and interests of uh, people all across the world on these issues. And you know there is a level of discomfort to talking about these things uh, that makes it hard at first. Uh, but, you know, if, if we can work through that together, we can get to such a stronger place. And you know what else we can do together, Jim? <laughs> What's that, Jeff? We can subscribe to this very podcast. Jim, how do people do that? Oh, wow. You can find our podcast. Uh, let's see. We're on iTunes. Just do a search for Jersey Educator. Find us on Google Play and Stitcher. And uh, online, Jeff, at nja.org slash podcast. And, of course, don't forget, if you're heading down to the NJA convention in early November, check us out. I'll be there in the TeacherCast booth. We've got about five or six presentations each of the two days, not including uh, the two-hour live Jersey Educator podcast. Last year, Jim, we had, what, uh, 15, 20 or so amazing guests. Uh, we're oh, certainly so much be... fun last year. So much fun. We just rolled for two hours straight. I don't even think think we took a breath in two hours, Jeff, and just people were coming up, stopping by, listeners of the show, guests of the show, fans of the show. Uh, can't wait to do it again this year. Absolutely. So check that out. And of course, you can find all the great stuff happening on TeacherCast over at TeacherCast.net. And you can find me on Twitter at TeacherCast. Jim, where can we find you? Jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, keeping a lower profile <laughs> online these days, Jeff, but I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram, Jeff. That wraps up episode 35 of the Jersey Educator Podcast. On behalf of everybody here on the podcast, my name is Jeff Bradbury. And my name is Jim Boyce. Reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions in New Jersey. <laughs>